Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome to the Dance About Humanity podcast. Today I have John Brisson as a guest who is a gut expert, a true detective, a critical thinker, and so many things more. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. And let me just ask the first question. Yes. What has been your gut feeling about everything that's been going on the last year? Well, I'm not happy about it. I don't think many people are. Um, it's really exposed a lot of things, Philip, to many people to some degree. Of course, there's some people that tend to continue to bury their hand, head in the sand like an ostrich and not uh, see the truth about the world. It's interesting to see how people are reacting to everything that's going on with the lockdowns and the, and the, the you know, the vaccines and, and the coronavirus. It's in and of itself and the different narratives that are being spinned and whether it's completely a scamdemic that CV-19 doesn't exist or that it was a pandemic in some form that it leaked out of a lab and it may or may not be as bad as everybody thinks it is, or mm-hmm. maybe they might release a stronger strain later on. It was kind of like an okey-doke, right? Where nothing was really happening previously beforehand. And some people let their guard down that doesn't, you know, that, that doesn't believe if it's real, if, even if it is real, you know, and then it ends up maybe the second wave is bad. I mean, who knows? I mean, you ever watched um, the uh, British show Utopia by chance or the uh, Amazon show Utopia? No, is it a utopia or is it a dystopia? <laughs> it's a dystopia, but it's it's a it's a movie about uh, uh about AR cheaters, uh, alternative reality game that was based on them putting forth a vaccine that contained some sort of contagion, mm. and it's very applicable kind of to what's going on, uh, uh, you know, on today. And a lot of people say that you know, if if you want to know what's going on, you know, maybe there's some predictive programming or revelation of the method, however you want to look at it, that was in that show. Um, and I think that might be true. I found this a bit sometimes difficult in this time to do. I call myself more a tweet detective. I like to take a look at things from different angles. And you have people like on the extremes who say like, there's nothing weird going on or programming or manipulation or conspiracies. And on the other hand, you have people who look at everything that's a conspiracy. And yep. so in a way, what I lo- often like to do is like, this could be the agenda behind it, or this could be like the next level thing. So if you see this appearing and you connect the dots and you see more and more of disconnecting, you know, it could be steered in this direction. So do that's what I love to do with this podcast to provoke thoughts, but not immediately say like, yeah, everything, you know. We had the same thing uh, with with uh, Trump. Yeah, Trump is gonna be reelected, and QAnon, and the military is gonna take over, and people are so invested in their position mm-hmm. that sometimes it's also hard when you speak ninety percent of the truth that comes out, but then you have something that is really out of whack, and you put your credibility on the line to fully put your stake there. It's like hard to manage that minefield of uh, credibility and credible opinions. No, you're right. I mean, and and, and then you have people that believe that the the coronavirus pandemic just are going to look at through that mindset they believe 100 percent what the news media and the governments around mm-hmm. the world are telling them right so you have like this degree i think it's kind of somewhere in the middle as how i look at most things too as well for example the tanzanian president died and mm-hmm. so people say well see he, he was very strong about saying that covid 19 mm-hmm. didn't exist and he uh, used a pcr test to test uh, all these fruits and everything so they killed mm-hmm. him they killed him because mm-hmm. he wasn't going mm-hmm. along with the plan right mm-hmm. maybe 
mm-hmm. or maybe he died because of old age. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they gave him the 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 true CV nineteen and he died from it. Who knows? But it's going to be spun to fit all these different narratives mm-hmm. and everyone's individual cognitive bias, which I suffer from too. I'm not going to say that mm-hmm. I don't. And you know, I do my best to try to try to parse through it the best I can and be like, well. I mean, no matter the way we look at it, the world order is going to screw us over one way or another, right? And they have mm-hmm. been, I mean, the lockdowns, a lot of it's just to see what they can get away with. The same mm-hmm. with the vaccine, to see what propaganda they could put forward to get people to, to take the vaccine. You know, they're pushing, keeping up with the Joneses when it comes to the vaccine. They're trying to do social pressure when it comes to getting the vaccine. They're even doing social media campaigns over here in the United States to try to get the African-American community, which is somewhat reluctant of taking the vaccine because they remember the Tuskegee experiment, but they're trying to apply social pressure on the African-American community and do psychographical and psychological warfare to get them to take the vaccine. I mean, you have Run DMC doing these animated shorts of trying to say how safe and effective the vaccine is, right? And then and then you have the, the first two people in the United States to get the coronavirus vaccines were both African-American nurses. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of pushing that propaganda forward to get people to accept it. Now, will it go as far as them pushing? I mean, do you have to get the, the vaccine to go to work? Do you have to get the vaccine to travel? Do you have to go get the vaccine to get any government benefits? Are they going to go door to door to force, force the vaccine? I don't know. I probably, my guess, and I'd like to hear yours, if I, if I had to think, mm-hmm. is probably, yeah, they might for a while. They're going to see what, they're going to test to see what they can get away with, right? So, for a while, they might, for you to go see a concert, you might have to have a vaccine passport. Or for you to fly, you might have to have a vaccine passport. And that might go away depending on the reluctance of people to get it and if revenue drops for the world order. It just depends on how far they want to take this and the reasons for taking this, right? It just depends, right? Yeah, and we're such social creatures because what used to be a possibility often becomes like a reality. And then I talk to people like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If they're going to say like, you have to wear a mask outside, I'm not going to do that, you know? And that boundary keeps on being pushed. So people have like, no, 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 no. They won't create a cashless society. They won't install a microchip. They won't track entries. They won't film you everywhere. They won't track uh, your movements of how much money you have. But sometimes, and I posted it today, like on Facebook, and people can take a look if they type in social credit score in China, or mm-hmm. how China is tracking its citizens. Just Google it on YouTube and you will see some videos from a year ago, but you will see exactly what's already the case in China, where they have the face recognition, checking in everywhere, the stats on how many people gather. Uh, nowadays, with the green health pass instead of vaccination passport, mm-hmm. you have to check in everywhere and they still have to wear a mask. So we kind of see that COVID-1984, big brother totalitarian kind of society being created for something that is not nearly as deadly as polio, malaria, Ebola, etc. So there's also a complete different tactic than just uh, inoculating the, health, the unhealthy or the vulnerable population. It's like everyone. It's like a complete makeover of society. So that's, that's something strange how there's a completely different approach to this. Mm-hmm. And it's not a temporary approach because I see measures being done that actually are building a future, according to me, this utopia that replaces human connection with online connection and more and more technology instead of like human connection and human interaction. Very much so. 
And I mean, it depends on how far some of it's always push and pull, right? Like they try to give you like the worst circumstances first for you to knee jerk and be like, Oh no, I don't want that. You know? And they're like, okay, well, we'll give you this instead. And then you're like, Oh, Hey God, they didn't, you know? So we need a vaccine passport to get on a plane, you know? And they're saying, you'll need a vaccine passport to get government assistance. And you're like, no, you know, no, I don't want that. You know? They're like, Oh, well, you just need to get a plane and then you're like, okay, that's better. I'll, I'll accept, you know, my rights to be taken away at that, you know, and they'll keep doing that. There'll be a push and a pull. We'll see what they can get away with. I'd actually argue, Philip, that we're already in a social credit score society. It's mm. just, it's done differently than how it is done in China because America tends to be more of an individualistic libertarian society in a lot of ways, or at least we used to be. So because of it, they did it secretive instead mm-hmm. of out in the open which is how they how our government has always done things they're already tracking us they're listening and tracking and doing everything they possibly can with this little device i carry around even though i disable gps when i'm not using it blah 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 blah. still doesn't mean that they don't do it they're listening on everything i say unless you know you and i stand out in the middle of a field like it's 1984 and then even then they could probably listen listen somehow or another depending on you know how yeah, special they think you are smart before it makes you dumb yes very much so and they're already doing that. And then, I mean, think about the social pressure with, with what's happening in American society right now. You know, you say something out of line or something someone doesn't agree with, agree with, and they ruin your life. That's already happening. The government it, doesn't have to do it. It's doing it through social pressure itself. Exactly. That's almost like ideological credit score, where you see the consequences mm-hmm. if you voice something. Oh, you have a platform that is uh, not left or liberal, you know, oh, it's all right to remove it, or parlor is removed, or you're fact-checked or removed from... Facebook or cancel culture or you're removed. So even it's not a score, it's like, hey, you can try this, but then you have negative consequences. So that echo chamber and boundaries of what's acceptable keeps on shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. So you kind of self-censor yourself or say like, okay, these are the boundaries of what I'm allowed to say and do. So maybe it's not with a score, but it's based by actions and what you do with most of the stuff now, like online or social media, which kind of is the reality most people are living in right now. So it's like boxed in with more and more increasing limits of what can be seen and what can be talked about and less people then see other opinions. So they never see different perspectives. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's the uh, trial by popular culture instead of trial by jury, right? I mean, that's where mm-hmm. we're at. So I think that's how it's done. I don't, I don't know if it'll ever get down to the point where it, like it is in China. I think they'll just mm-hmm. do it that way. And I think they have been doing it that way because we're more accepting. It's like, you know, in China, they're putting a frog in a pot of boiling water and putting the lid on, right? But here in the United States, they're putting a frog in cold water and slowly turning up the heat mm-hmm. until it's until you realize, oh wait, it's too late, you know, and, and you're dead. So that, I mean, that's how it is here. Is is I think that's how they did, it, and I think that's how they they sneaked it in. I mean, they also uh, friend Jesse Spots used to like use this term. They put us in digital ghettos through the internet too as well. Yeah, because, ideological ghettos. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all st- and everybody's in their own echo chambers. They're all right fighting. No one ever wants to look up anything outside of their own comfort zone. And 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 that's what it's end up being. And like you mentioned earlier, I have a friend, Jimmy Jean, who uh, came up with this ter- uh, term. Everyone has their moment of truth. Everyone has what they're going to accept, you know, and, and what mm-hmm. would get you to accepting that level, whether it's wearing a mask, whether it's getting a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, me, there's a local law in North Carolina that penalizes any business that gets caught for someone not wearing a mask. So if I walk into a local business, I don't want them to get fined and penalized when local businesses are having a hard enough time mm-hmm. as it is 
for them to survive during the pandemic. So mm-hmm. what do I do? I wear a mask under courtesy to them. Now, some people mm-hmm. will say, well, yeah, John, you're bowing to the system or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want them to get penalized because something that's not their fault when they're barely struggling to survive anyway, you know, but I'm not wearing a mask when I go into Walmart. That's silly. It's silly. And so everybody has that line. Everybody has a line that they're willing, you know, that moment of truth where you have to make the decision. Do you stand by what you believe in or do you fold? But what I notice is this sometimes what I call spiritual bypassing or personal responsibility bypassing, like, oh, it will pass over. I will focus only what is under my control and I don't want to get frustrated and be angry, which I understand you want to keep like peace of mind. But on the other hand, I feel like this is not going to go away without any boundary, without any battle, without people standing up. And I feel a lot of people are like acquiescing and not seeing the benefits. They're also prevented of like getting together, but standing up for something. It's a very acquiescent generation sometimes in terms of like seeing the bigger picture, seeing the long-term consequences of the things that they might not approving, but they're not fighting against it. I think Martin Luther King said civil disobedience is a, standing up for what is right and also standing against what is not right. It's like both sides, you know? So that that is a bit that I find personally, according to my observation, that people acquiesce a lot and silently condone it without actually doing something specific to change it. But there is a way to do that, right? Mm. So if you're going to do proper civil disobedience, in my opinion, a way to go against the world order structure would be not to complete outright rebel. That's what they want. Mm. They've always wanted that. Usually revolutions end in their favor. I haven't found one in the modern age that did not end in their favor. Even the American Revolution to some degree, it's mm. quite sad, but it is what it is. You know, so... Uh, they they want that. They want us to get on the streets so they can, you know, attack us and beat us down. And But there are ways that we could do passive civil disobedience, which would be, you know, buying locally, you know, trying to talk with people to try to get them to, to, to wake up and for them to understand exactly what's going on for us, you know, to... I guess try to take back, you know, they hate when people also get together in groups with like-minded, like-minded thoughts and actually talk about stuff, but not online, but actually get together. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and realize that there's certain things where it comes to hurting oneself. Like some people have issues, health issues where they can't wear masks or some people, you know, I wouldn't recommend the vaccine for anyone, but you know, there's some people who have health issues that they couldn't get the vaccine, for example, you know? And, and so I think about talking about these things, protesting within the boundaries like pretty much they want you to react one way or another right so they either want you to get very upset and rebel or they want you to follow their orders and just go along with it and just placate but if you kind of just shrug your shoulders and be like "Eh, i'm not going to do what you tell me they kind of don't really know does that make any sense what i'm saying they don't really know how to handle that you know like yeah, if people yeah, yeah, yeah. If people protested as silly as this sounds and they all followed all the rules of social distancing and wearing a mask and everything like that and and they, they have no reason to to clamp down on them and when they did clamp down on them they would look like to be the unfair aggressor even to people who believe in those things. What I that's the union in me that I think is a bit missing. We need a symbolism. We need a, we need a symbol. Just as the mask is a symbol, like, okay, this is a pandemic. It's a sign of constantly being on the threat, a medicalized society. 
health fascism. That's even how I sometimes call it when the apartheid that I see in Israel right now being rolled out with people being prohibited of actually going to certain things without... Uh, yeah, but apartheid's been there for its, its, its formation of Israel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And... Um, <laughs> So if that would be a symbol, some kind of archetypical symbol that people could wear, and then at least you could look at people like, oh, they're wearing a mask, but this person is actually not condoning or standing up or wanting this. And when people, you don't need more than 50%. You just need a majority, like even maybe 10% that shows like we are with more people than actually people realize. And then people wouldn't feel so powerless about, I can't change anything. It's like, yeah, we are condoning, but that symbol is like, ah, okay. So far I've seen people... um just put their nose, their mask underneath their nose, just cover their mouth. I've seen people do that. And you kind of look at someone who does that and you kind of just nod to them. They nod back to you because they mm-hmm. realize it. And I mean, if we're going to have an open and honest discussion about masks, I mean, an N99 mask would work, but we don't have them. We weren't given to them by our kind government to protect us from a supposed COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, no, Instead, they expect us to wear surgical polypropylene masks or neck gaiters. The studies show the neck gaiters don't even work, but people mm-hmm. still wear them and still accept them as being masks. And mm-hmm. no one thinks twice. You know, you have, you know, if, you have, if I'm wearing a mask underneath my nose and they're wearing a mouth gaiter or a neck gaiter, should I say, I'm the one that gets yelled at because I'm not covering my nose when their neck gaiter doesn't even work at all. Mm-hmm. So, we can't even have an open and, and uh, an honest discussion about any of this, Philip. None of it. None we of it. We couldn't even have a discussion about do lockdowns work? Do masks work? Do vaccines work? Is this disproportionate? And then look at where people are mostly dying and how we can attribute most resources to save the people who we can save and also yeah. save livelihoods. Like, where is this discussion completely out of the window? And all those discussions could be like had, you know? Because I saw you were a gut expert, right? And gut yes. sometimes has to do with um, the guts. The seat of the ego, discernment, centeredness in yourself, intuition. I've seen like material of deep fakes, and deep fakes are where they are like mimicking people, their speech. They can just have an image mm-hmm. of you. They can even mimic your voice and they can let people say whatever they want, or you can have images of whatever they, they want. So when you see the spread of fake news and false information right now, ho, 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 ho. Wait until we have the face of me or you and you have my voice and you can let me say and do whatever you want. And then the media or they can just show the images like, eh, the person said this, this person did this. And you can say like, that's not true. No, 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 The proof is there. So the use of intuition, of discernment, of the gut feeling will be more and more important as ever because you won't be able to know this reality from false reality increasingly with these deep fakes and technology and false images. No, you're right. I mean, different different people have a different um, way that they have a different mechanism of, of reaching the uncanny valley, right? So for me, it's not too difficult for me to say this is done by artificial intelligence. Now, I, I, I still get fooled. We all do. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm able to get feel uneasy more when I see things that seem to be digitally generated. And there are different personality types that you could see that might be so... Me as an ITP, I'm not aware of the physical world at all. Like if you give me a hammer, I'm like, okay, I guess I can hit a nail with this, but I'm probably going to do a really bad job with it, right? However, the digital world is a metaphysical world. And that is a lot more difficult to fool me by. And I can see things with, you know, like clipping and anti-aliasing issues and stuff like that. For example, there was a video I was put out of Biden 
walking down supposedly the path, you know, to White House to reporters. And you can literally see his hand clipping through the, the fuzzy part uh, of the microphone. All right. Now, there's there's a couple of ways to look at this. One, he wasn't, you know, walking down a path. The White House the whole thing was completely green screened. And, and that's how it does done, because Biden can barely form a couple of sentences together because he's got advanced dementia unless they pump a whole bunch of drugs in. him. OK, so that's the first thing. Or did he really walk down a path and they digitally edit it so it looked appeared that he, you know, that he was behind a green screen, that it was a deep fake to make people jump on that like red meat and say, you know, hey, Biden, you know, Biden's, you know, not outside the White House. You have no idea really where he is. You know, he, he's he's got like, so which one is it? You'll never know. Yeah, you know, this is sometimes and, a difficulty to discern because when you're, I hate that term conspiracy theorist, but when you're into discovering the truth or what's underneath, they also have things which they call like controlled opposition that people mm-hmm. purposely try to steer with people who are critical, but actually they give such a narrative or steer it, you know, to debunk some things and create chaos, you know? So that's like a, an advanced layer of causing like confusion and disagreement between people. Or, or they give you red herrings of things that you think are something because they look like they appear there's something like, oh, it really looks like you know Biden is behind a green screen and this is a whole deep fake and everything and he's not really at the White House. Yeah, and and then again, what, what, But what if the mics are really the fake part of it and he really was walking down a path? I, or- I also think that you want to take a look at the things that are have the biggest impact or at what kind of meta level you want to look things. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I know there are people like, hey, Michelle Obama is actually a man or, mm-hmm. you know... Um, Kamala Harris is a man, like, but to be focusing on that, like, okay, like that's not the most relative thing thing to believe in and to pick, you know, for me, it's more about the manipulation higher up and control long-term consequences for humanity. Some people get really entrenched in a certain position and it might be, I'm not excluding it, but it seems kind of like trivial in the big scheme of things, right? Well, they do that a lot. A lot of people get a singular focus. So like for the Michelle Obama, it's called a, tra- you have a lot of transvestigators, you know, where they're trying to find out that uh, they end up saying everyone's a tranny that ever worked in Hollywood, you know, and you're like, no, I don't think so. I mean, you know, and, I, and, and to say that, there, that that no one is is a transsexual either, well, that'd be a mm-hmm. far stretch too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, at least as far as Michelle Obama's concerned, not to say that I believe or disbelieve, mm-hmm. but I will say that Joan Rivers kind of hinted at it and then she died you know, under a, a routine anesthetic procedure for an endoscope, you know, which does happen. Don't get me wrong. I've read about it on Fix Your Gut. It's one of the risks of having an endoscope procedure done, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of odd. She makes a joke about Michelle kind of being a tranny and then she dies. So I don't know. Maybe that was how it's supposed to be. Maybe it's all been the grand design of the work. I don't know. But most people don't think like you and I, Philip, in that degree. And I always didn't. For a long time, I was gullible as INTP can be, and just believing the most absurd nonsense that was out there. And then once I, you know, learned about the psychographical and psychological warfare that Cambridge Analytica did during the 2016 election, which actually voted for Trump, when I should have known better, I should have known better. He was a part of it. Right. It's called on Netflix. Yes. Yes. I should have known that he was just as much as a part of it, just as the rest, all the rest of them was. But I, I fell for the warfare. I fell through the chaos magic. I didn't have my spiritual armor on. I fell for it. And uh, and looking back on it now, I'm like, man. So, I mean, the truth movement, I don't even know if it ever was about truth. You know, when you start investigating, like, most of the people that are out there that brought you the truth were either ex-military or ex-spooks. Even as far back as William Guy Carr and Palms, 
pawns in the game. He was Canadian naval intelligence. So it's like, you know, do these people ever flip? Do they ever become our guys? You know, you have Robert David Steele out there pushing the QAnon narrative and the most insane yeah, yeah, things. Flynn and also keep on yeah. pushing like, yeah, there's going to be an overturn. We're going to fix it. And it's like, uh, and now General, he was, where are we now? <laughs> and, now he went, and now he was asked recently, you know, you know about QAnon and Flynn literally said, no, I don't know what QAnon is. I've never heard about that. It's like you took the oath. Where we go? It was everywhere. You're you're openly running the operation. Both you and I don't know who's above Flynn, but I can tell you Flynn's pretty high up in the operation with Stephen K. Bannon and, Gen- and General Stanley McChrystal. I mean, they're all part of it. But the thing is, is it's like, okay, so now what? You're gonna outright deny it? Like, what is this? Yeah, you know, you this is a, laughable. You have a channel called We've Read the Documents, and something that I can't wrap my head around, right? Because uh, sometimes it's a bit of a battle between the conspiracy theorists and the coincidence theorists, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> for one yeah. person, everything is a conspiracy and for the other person, everything is a coincidence and it just happens by accident. Oftentimes, the truth is somewhere like in the middle. Yes. Now, when we take a look at the whole election, right? We take a look at, I don't know how many votes Obama had, had but then after with Trump had like, I think 10 million or 8 million more votes. And then you had Biden, whether you like it or not, like he didn't, have a campaign. He was basically hiding in his basement. You know, he doesn't have a lot of like energy behind his message. It's mostly no. anti-Trump. No. Uh, but then suddenly in certain crucial states at a crucial moment when Trump is winning, suddenly they, they have to like pause it. And then suddenly all the votes come in for Biden. I'm not drawing conclusions here. I'm just painting the picture here. Right. And then suddenly at the end, you find out that uh, Biden had the most votes of any president ever, more than Trump, more than Obama. What I don't understand is why didn't they find any evidence of potential fraud or why would this not expected? Because there's a lot of red flags there that I think of coincidences and things that happened that all were in favor of Biden. I was just amazed that there was so little evidence or like major evidence or that they could hack into those computers and say like, how did it really happen here with the algorithm? Do you have some more info about this? Because I find it very curious. I thought Trump was going to win. I thought we were going to get another term of Trump. I thought the Council for National Policy was behind them, which is a secretive group that very few people talk about. Actually, they run a lot of the truth movement. They were formed in 1981, and they have been involved in Iran-Contra affair, 9-11, the Franklin scandal. And I thought that he was going to win. I, I was pretty sure. And I was also sure before the, uh, the, the pandemic that Hillary Clinton was going to be the nominee for, for president. I thought it was really going to be Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump, too. And mm. they kept playing around with that in, in, the, narr- in the media. But it was just probably giving to my cognitive bias. It was mm-hmm. probably, you know, the, the red herring, you know, red meat to throw out there and be like, oh, you know, and ended up being Biden. But so I really thought Trump was going to win. I, I really did. However, two weeks beforehand, there was a accounts for national policy meeting itinerary that was uh, that was secretly released of their upcoming meeting that was after the election, and it literally had Sc- uh, Scott Rasmussen giving a talk about you know what could be done now and John Kenneth Blackwell who helped rig the 2004 election for George W. Bush. It didn't matter if Bush or Kerry won; both were bonesmen. Mm-hmm. We lose; it doesn't matter, you know. But him also giving a talk about how to fight the election in the states, and then. I forgot the guy's name, but he was like the he was like very high up in in the uh, Department of Homeland Security, giving a talk of how he could unify the nation back back together. And I remember seeing that and going, "Wow, they think Trump's gonna lose? Do they know something I don't know?" Like, because like if you go listen to my streams, like I'm I'm rationalizing. I'm like, I really think Trump's gonna win for them to continue the world order agenda. 
But that leak, I don't know. I'm not so sure. And then Trump lost. And I was like, okay. Because it's my point that it's, it's always a selection. They, they put whomever they want in. It's been that way for I don't know how long. None of the presidents were our guys, even JFK. Anybody believes that JFK was fighting against the deep state. I'm about to do a stream with my friend Lee Chapman to show that JFK was just a part of it. It's just the rest of them. And his death may have been martyrdom because he was possibly dying from Addison's disease and he wanted to go out like a martyr. Maybe, maybe I know it's controversial to say that because many people hold JFK as a hero, but in my opinion, there are no heroes. Okay. So, but, but why didn't they, because that's why I put in like hypothesis here and there's a lot of red flags here. That's like suddenly all in favor of like Biden would, why couldn't America just take hold of those 14 computers analyze all the algorithm and look if there wasn't anything wrong like it's because they won't do it because it's all going according to plan i thought trump was going to win to further galvanize the united states but no it shows it seems like they needed biden to actually do that so what happens is this is what i think is happening is was the election rigged Yes, they all are. It's a selection. They put whomever they want in power. Okay, they didn't put Biden in power because they're trying to stick it to Trump. All right, he had four years to drain a swamp. He filled the swamp. You don't fill the swamp to drain a swamp. I mean, Operation Warp Speed, which Trump still takes credit for to this day, still took credit for it a week ago and told people to go get their damn vaccinations. All right, I'm tired of people sitting there holding hope out for Trump. He's so. Trump has always been a part of it, always been a part of it. He's just playing the role that he was deemed necessary to play. All right. And yeah, I can't stand Biden. I dislike Biden more than, you know, the, the same as most most people that dislike Biden. I mean, same with Obama. I hate both sides of the world order. They're both garbage. Mm-hmm. But to sit here to be like Trump ain't a part of it when he is still telling people to go get their vaccines, still saying it's a miracle, still saying it's a gift for God, still saying, well, I got it done faster than everybody else did Operation Warp Speed, which, by the way, had Jared Kushner in there controlling a lot of it. All right. So, I mean, Israel was very much involved with Operation Warp Speed among, you know, the Department of Defense being directly related with the pharmaceutical companies. But I digress. Bro, uh, this is one of the most biggest taboos ever to talk about in a podcast. But and I don't ever blame this on people from Israel or people who are Jewish because I oh. would never blame it on Jewish people and I'm not an anti-Semite. At the same time, when they really would talk about privilege and overrepresentation, I call it, I have a name for it, right? So-called, or they are Jewish globalist, jubilist, I call them. A very specific kind of person, right? Very specific kind of person. Not at all the typical person or, uh, you know, people from Israel of like a Jewish person. But if you're going to take a look at the representation of jubilists, let's say, in the Forbes, richest people, in those big companies, Larry Page, Mark Zuckerberg, and you look at Airbnb, Uber, like if you're going to take a look at the top of a lot of important companies, you're going to see a lot of the same heritage or connections. So you a lot of them are Irish too, just to put that forth. A lot of them are Irish yeah. as well. <laughs> and this is just always such a taboo to talk about because then people say like, oh my God, you're, you're anti-Israel or anti-Jewish people. Not at all. Not at all. I think I know a lot of Jewish friends who are also suffering from this and then complaining about this, but there is a network and it's not only then, it's just like globalist people and their own networks, but there's a lot of affiliation there and you can never like really talk about it, you know? No, 
No, you can. I mean, most people, I mean, I don't look at it like a Jew world order type thing where the Jews are the, the end all be all the world. There's many different divisions. Yeah, if if the I would talk order. about Larry Page or Mark Zuckerberg or Soros, they would say like, oh, you're an anti-Semite. Yes. Just because they're Jewish. If I would say that about a black and Asian, a Western white, that is no problem at all. Pope no, Francis. I, yeah, I'm pointing out you know, the specific connections, you know, and want to help me like understand. So you see that I call it like Jewish globalists. They're a lot represented in the entertainment industry, in big finance, in a lot of powerful institutions. And they just work together just as the Rothschilds had their different uh, sons in different countries. This is not a crazy conspiracy. This is what they actually did. So I just want to understand what the ties are, but this is always such a taboo to talk about. It's like, oh my God, that. So yeah, this is this is the biggest taboo thing to like talk about, and it has nothing to do for me that uh, it's like people from Israel or Jewish people. If they would be from I don't know Morocco or Africa, I would say the exact same thing, you know. But I just love exploring things, understanding things, seeing connections on all vectors, and I just think it's a pity. It's just such a hot iron to touch because if you as soon as you touch it it's like oh you're being blamed as fascist nazi whatever which i'm not at all i think it's a completely repulsive yeah it is it ideology is ideology at all uh like a lot of extreme ideologies you know it's it's sad because the moment you try to talk about israel being a part of the world order i mean you have yeah i mean there's many parts you have you know you have vatican the you know vatican you have the swiss uh you have uh, the russian elite you have the chinese elite you have the African elite, you have the South, you know, the, you have the Latin American elite, you have elite of all these different countries and all these different positions. Uh, you have the Anglo-American establishment, the Brits, you know, many people don't talk about the crown anymore, but they're still just as they still have a powerful seat at the table. Exactly. The, that, that's a great comparison you also do. So to, to steer it away from that biggest taboo thing I ever talked about, which, I, I, you know, is just calling out certain things and investigating them. When you take a look at the royal bloodlines of, uh, you know, Belgium, Saxon Coburg, they're already from a G German origin, you know, yeah, like when you yeah. know the Windsors, there's also from German origin, you know, the Habsburgs, they had a lot of like mm -hmm. family in Europe. That's not mm -hmm. a conspiracy. That was actually the case. So that's then, you know, more about Habsburg and European descent. So yeah, you, you also see that there, you know. But the moment you discuss Israel, oh, you're anti-Semitic. It's like, well, no, I'm not upset at the, the Jewish people. Yeah, absolutely. I have, I have friends who, who are Jewish. Of course, if anybody says that, you know, they're automatically branded a racist, <laughs> but they're yeah. able to see that I'm not racist. Uh, and, and the thing is, is it's just, it's just interesting because the moment you try to criticize Israel, as you can criticize any other country in the world, all of a sudden you can't. And it's yeah. like, I'm not criticizing, like when I criticize America, most of the time I'm not criticizing the American people. I'm criticizing mm -hmm. the American government. And I can do that. So why can't I criticize the issues with Bibi Netanyahu and the Israeli government and how they're not our greatest ally? If you got to look at America's greatest ally from a cultural and heritage perspective, it's Great Britain. Now, granted, I'm not saying that Great Britain, you know, the crown and Anglo-American, you know, the Anglo-establishment separate from the American establishment is, you know, they're, they're the best either. They're not. They're all, you know, high up level elites. But the English people themselves, the European people themselves you know, I mean, me as a, a European American, I mean, I mean, my family's been here since the 1700s, but I'm French and Scottish. 
they're the closest people that I have my kinship with, you know, so they would reality be my greatest ally, I would assume. Yeah. And when you look now, like, for instance, uh, what, what's happening with the vaccination and the health, aka vaccination passport in Israel roll out, see what those people in power are doing to their own Jewish people and citizens. It's not like, mm -hmm. oh, let's follow Israel. I see a lot of same practices that were being done in like World War II and it's happening in Israel. So what I'm saying is also to the people who are living in Israel and like Jewish people, because there are a lot of videos of like brave people who are not like condoning. So I'm just talking to a certain kind of, and can be Jewish, can be British, can be, uh, you know, American, that they're like interrelated and they don't have the best benefits of their citizens in mind. They have like a network and they protect their own interests. So you can see it now what's happening in Israel, like with the segregation when you see images of the ghettos and segregation and the past to be allowed to open your business and go to a place brings up a lot of nasty images of, of 80 years ago. I mean, the Palestinian Christians is me being a Christian. The Palestinian Christians are discriminated by the Israeli government. They're mm -hmm. treated as second class citizens. And I have fellow kinship with them because I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to. They're fellow brothers in Christ. And they're discriminated. I mean, even the Voice of the Martyrs lists. Israel, the Palestinian Christians is being under oppression by both the uh, Palestinian Muslims to some degree, but not really. From what you see, the Palestinian Muslims actually leave the Palestinian Christians alone. I'm um, respect them and vice versa. It's the Israeli government that persecutes the Palestinian Christians and don't doesn't trust them. So what am I supposed to think? You know, am I supposed to just overlook that? You and can't just have a get out of jail for free card and say like, hey, this is my ethnicity. So you can't blame me because then you're anti me. No, I'm just looking at what you do. And it has nothing to do with the fact that you can get away by just saying like, no, 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 no. You, you can't judge me because uh, else you're like anti-Semite or whatever. On the other hand, because I also like to have other perspectives, sometimes it annoys me and it's not exactly true because they label like bitchute and all these alternative platforms as like, you know, uh, fascist, alt-right, mm -hmm. etc. On the other hand, sometimes these discussions also are like very unfair towards all Jews. Oh, it's all the Jews. Yep. Oh, Jewish conspiracy. Oh, yep. it's all the Jewish. I think it's not. That That's again, and I want to like paraphrase this and really stress this. Like this is also not like focusing on where like the power is and where specifically is it located. So it's also yep. not really that one-sided broad stroke to say like, yeah, it's just all the Jewish people who are in this and forcing this, you know, it's uh, on the other hand, those in alternative platforms, not as much as the left or liberal or mainstream media says, but I also see it there. And I'm like wary of having that over exaggeration uh, about things that are going on. No, you're right. I mean, we can look at the third iteration of the Ku Klux Klan and how it was it was stir, uh, steered by the Benai Brith to try to uh, get people to join uh, the KKK um, and to kind of th throw up this false dichotomy. Bill Cooper, who bro mm -hmm. who broke down the history of the, the Benai Brith organization, uh, like he literally had to start start the broadcast. And he was like, "I don't hate Jewish people, like you know, like I, but I'm going to tell you some things that you probably don't want to hear about the Benai Brith." You know, and so they're always trying to to put out this fault. And I do a lot. I do believe a lot of people, not not everyone. Some people are they fall for the psychological and psychographical warfare, and they start believe, believing that the Jewish world order that they're the most powerful, that they are the mm -hmm. only thing, that there mm -hmm. is a Jewish person behind every conspiracy. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. You know, there are true believers that sadly fall for that, but a majority mm -hmm. of the people that push it are operatives. They're either mm -hmm. operatives or opportunists. They're getting paid by. Uh, the United States government and other foreign in invested interests to spouse this nonsense. I mean, Hal Turner, uh, one of the most famous people who was doing it. I mean, you know, he was he was he was a Fed. 
I was was a Fed. So most of these people that go out there that spew all this, and I'm going to call it by that. I'm going to call it, that is hate. Like people like Don Blatt from Stormfront and stuff like that. That's hate. Mm -hmm. All right. Like Mm -hmm. most people Mm -hmm. nowadays, they'll knee jerk and they'll call, you know, any disagreement someone has is spewing hate, right? Or it's a hate speech or hate crime. But there is actually speech that has hatred in it. All right. And most people, when they get to that level and they have a broadcast where they're, or, or a platform where they're able to broadcast, they're working with the world order. They're working with the government. They're likely being paid. They're not a true believer at that point. I don't see it. So yeah, it, it really makes me upset because anytime I try to talk about Israel, and there's even leftists that talk about Israel, and there's leftists mm-hmm. that do boycott, divest, and sanctions against Israel, right? I mean, yeah. the left used to actually fight against the apartheid in Israel, but now many of them don't because they're afraid that they're going to be branded anti Actually, a really good friend of mine from the Antidote podcast. Yeah, you're Jeremy Ross- if, you, if you're against like segregation or you know war, you know war crimes or things being done that it's against the the Declaration of Human Rights. But yeah, you know, if you're left and you do that against Israel, no, no, then you're a fascist and you're immediately like whoop, you're being shoved completely to the extreme right. You know, I mean, I have a good friend on the Antidote podcast who's a Jewish activist. His name is Jeremy Rothkuschel, mm-hmm. and he speaks out against the elite in the country of Israel and, and, and Zionism very often. And they hate them and they call them the worst possible things. You know, mm-hmm. it's mostly people on the left, some people on the right that bought, you know, bought into Zionism, but they, they, they say that he's a traitor to his people. He's a traitor to his race. He's a traitor to his religion. It's just the worst things that you could possibly imagine that he has to live with as someone who is Jewish who is standing up and saying, okay, yeah, the things that they're doing to the Palestinians isn't right. Them, you know, our, our elites working with the Jewish elites to do tra- technology transfers through the Belt and Road Initiative with Russia and China. Yeah, that's not right either. You know, us fighting foreign wars on the behest of Israel, not every foreign war, okay? Us trying to destabilize Venezuela to replace... Uh, Who's the leader of Venezuela right now? They're trying to replace him with Juan Maduro? Guaido. Maduro, yeah. That has nothing to do with Israel. I don't think it does. Yeah, and the um, funny thing is with these world games, also we see like Israel, America, like it's the entire country, right? That's why they keep yeah. like fighting for Israel. No, fighting for the vested interests like the establishment of that country, which keeps, you know, the power in certain hands and certain networks. So I don't like a taboo about anything. I think it's always said like i'm not an anti-vaxxer but i'm not an anti-semite like 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 if people can't hear my intention my intention is not to hurt or offend or spew hate i yeah. just be able to freely talk about things that i hope we could resolve because i would love the world to be a better more peaceful negotiated place where people can express themselves freely with the benefit of sometimes saying things that they didn't mean because that wasn't their intention and learning from it you know we're, we're human we all have like flaws you know and the fact that some things are just taboos while people just have no ill intention at all, I think it's a pity, you know? That's that's what I don't like about topics. Uh, or do you know about the guy, Daryl Davis, who was on Joe Rogan, the African-American that used to go around and speak to leaders of the KKK and try to have connections with them and try to you mm-hmm, know talk no. to them about racism and stuff like that and everything? Cancel culture would try to cancel him at this point. He's an African-American guy going around and doing it, and he thinks it's important. You know, and he thinks it's important to try to, you know, the, everybody wants to condemn everybody else. And I'm not going to say that you and I are, don't do that ourselves to some degree. Mm-hmm. Every human being does. It's part, every human being has a, has a somewhat of a tribalist mindset, but you try to overcome that. You try to say, okay, this isn't the right thing to do, you know, 
And but then again, some people think too, just because you quote unquote judge someone and you're but you're reproving them and you're saying, hey, you probably don't want to do this, that that's quote unquote judging and you're a horrible human being too. So it can go both ways as well, right? Like some people will say, I'm a hypocrite because I don't want Rachel Levine to become the assistant assistant health and human service secretary uh, of the United States of America because they hold the position that my children should be giving hormone blockers to stop their puberty. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's insane. So just because I hold that position, I'm transphobic, but you know, I have, I, I know people, I have friends that I grew up with who are homosexual. My wife's ex-boyfriend -boy is a transsexual. Mm -hmm. If I'm sitting next to them, I'm not going to freak out and, you know, and yeah, this is just another thing, right? Like, listen, that person thinks that their objective reality is not true and they have their subjective uh, view of reality. That's fine. You know, if somebody yeah. thinks that there is a certain person, I wouldn't offend them. Like, you know, let them be and let them live their life and I wish them the best. But they don't agree with their reality, which is mostly subjective. There's not enough objective data yet to like show it. I have more of objective references like ma masculine, feminine, and I have to alter my own reality, which they didn't like that they had a reality forced on them that they think is different. But then you have to switch yourself completely based on a subjective standard, you know, and you have to throw away your objective standard. So this is again going to be something provocative to say. I can have Sam and Sam thinks uh, he's a woman. Okay, Sandra. When I, when I meet a person, I will say like, hey, Sandra, how are we doing, etc. But when I would refer to him, I would refer to him. Yeah. Because I value the language. Him means male for me. Her means female. I have a certain definition of male and female. Is. I don't use him to attack him, but that is for me a groundedness in reality. Yes. That for me is a two plus two equals four in 1984, not yeah. two plus two equals five. And I have to change my definition of language, my groundedness in reality to appease to someone. Again, I would say Sandra and whatever, and I wouldn't laugh at him or offend him, let them live their life. But to then to give up my own objective standards that are grounded in reality and have an objective basis, that is just crazy. Yeah, or, or, you know, because you can't change your biological sex, but you can have a million different genders, right? You know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's just interesting because if I met a, a random transsexual person, I obviously wouldn't be like, hey, you know, you might not want to do this. You might regret it, you know, mm -hmm. later. You know, there's certain ways that you could make, you know, there's some studies that came out of India that it could be from maybe a toxic plasma gondii dysbiosis, which could also could be a cause for schizophrenia. And, you know, you can correct it maybe with hormones. And, and I, I like, you can't even discuss that anymore. Like, you can't discuss. Um, yeah, you can even discuss, you have the book, um, The Madness of Crowds by uh, Douglas Murray, where it also talks about, you can't talk about the suicides. You can't talk about people regretting their decision. You can't yeah. talk about the life-altering effects, etc., or the fact that maybe, because a large part is this for now, that they were actually homosexual, but find it like difficult to deal with that. And later, or they wanted to be taboo. Exactly, and they, or they wanted to get attention and don't want to move where the attention is. Not saying this is the case, but this could be one of the possibilities. Again, here, this is not from a judging frame, this is from an understanding frame and showing a buffet of different ways to look at this so we can understand it better. But now, or, the, or, or they suffer from borderline personality disorder and they don't quite understand what their personality is. Which, yeah, and now you there have was to, some of the early yeah. some of the early research was showing that, and they were like, no, 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 it's not that, not at all. 
And then I think, you know, if a person wants to be transsexual, I'm, I, I, don't, I mean, I'm not going to advocate for it, but fine, that's their choice, whatever. But I do also think that they should have a, like, you should go to a doctor. They should be like, hey, you know, you may feel like you feel this way, but there is a possibility that there are reasons why you feel this way. Different perspectives, right? If someone yeah. truly wants to do this, like be my guest, but it's a very serious thing that can potentially alter your life forever. So I would have, you know, different options. Give it time to really, it's almost like a tattoo. It's like a very extensive tattoo. Think yeah. about it because it's going to be on your back or your body all the time. And then weigh the options and really think it through and then make a grounded decision. But now sometimes in this politically correct society, somebody could just, you know, six years old, they go to a nurse and you go say, oh, that's nice. That's so courageous. And then even the parents who doubt maybe, but no, 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 no. He is a woman or she is a man, et cetera. And they don't look at other perspectives. And, you know, because it's such a huge part of their future, they should also see other perspectives. It's out of care for them. I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to be okay. I don't want them to be pleased with their decision. And I think, you know, we should all them like different ways to look at the situation and give it time. You know, that, that seems only reasonable for me, but that's even sometimes a taboo sometimes when people go for that very extensive gender replacement surgery. Why, why can't people just have a choice? Why can't you just be given a choice? Why can't you be told this might be you or you might think this is you, but it may not be. And it's something that, you know, through proper medication or supplementation, hormone correction, and psychotherapy that you may not feel that way once those things are corrected. But just by saying that I'm a bigot, you're a bigot, we're both bigots, and it's sad that it's reached that level, you know? Like I like I can understand if someone was like, all transsexuals should be killed and wiped off the face of the earth because they're severely mentally ill. Then I would be like, whoa, you know, like, yeah, no, come on. Is, now yeah. no. But to sit there and also act like it's completely normal too as well, and then it's not fringe, it's also an issue. This is a discussion sometimes when you have someone, to put it like bluntly, it's my dance about humanity. I make my podcast always explicit just by default. If you have someone who goes to a lady shower and it's Sandra again with a penis, I mean, Sandra want to feel safe and do what uh, he wants. What about those women there who want to feel safe and do what they want? What about their rights? What about how, how, how they're feeling? Shouldn't that also be taken into account? No. It never is. Politically correct side, and that should be like pushed. What about all those women in like sports who worked so hard to get on top of their game? And then suddenly there's like a transgender there is kicking their ass and that should all be condoned. What about the other perspectives of all those women who are being smashed and being taken away potential like medals or succeeding in their sports? But if you work so hard as a woman, that's a whole other topic for women's right and standing up and you want to develop your own culture and way of doing things. And then suddenly transgenders come into the equation. It's like, where do you draw the boundary? That's where a lot of feminists, old school feminists also have like argument about it. But yeah, the we having yeah female spaces, you know, and then there's the battle of like, what is, we fought so hard to have our own female uh, community and standing up for females. So it's also a battle there, you know? And in the argument that someone who's transsexual, who's male to female, will never understand what it is to be a female, even though they think they are, even vice versa. I mean, how many, you know, women who try to be men, you know, since we're looked at now as part of being part of a major patriarchal society, Philip, and that's why we're allowed to say these things, okay, mm -hmm. that there are a lot of things that people just scoff off about men's mental health and their well-being mm -hmm. and health in general. Yeah, yeah. 
and you see it all the time. Like you, like, you know, like when men are more likely to, you know, die in, you know, work-related accidents or die in war or suicide, homelessness, suicide. drug abuse. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and it is it's kind of like, well, that's just, you know, part, you know, you should be mad at the, the male elites of the patriarchy. And it's like, okay, so we look at, you know, the problems of women and I'm not saying that those shouldn't be, you know, put out there, but the problems of men, which have never really been looked at, mm-hmm. are just pushed off to the side. And again, we're going to be called bigots just by making that statement. And I think that's yeah, unfair. This is, a, this is, again, just a complicated issue that we should look at different vectors to make like a grounded decision but again here there are ideological ghettos uh if you have a position and some things that can be discussed or can be said you know and and some of it and they'll always blame most well, is toxic masculinity and toxic male culture well there is such thing as toxic femininity and there have been goddess worship cultures as well and they didn't survive as long as is surprisingly the male centered cultures did. But you have Kali, right? Kali. <laughs> again, again, that's going to make people angry, huh? You know. But I mean, I, look, I mean, me as a Christian, there are certain guidelines that were put forth in the Bible that are put forth in civilization that I do believe in general that if we followed those specific guidelines and the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the apostles and even you know what was laid to groundwork in the Old Testament through the Ten Commandments the world would probably be a better place. I'm not saying that it's possible to live by those tenets all the time, right? Because a lot of people, once they figure out that you're a Christian, they get upset at you and they're like, you know, the, the, the moment you sin, they're like, how dare you, you know? And it's like, I don't think you understand what it is to be a Christian. Like we all have flesh. We all do things that we're not proud of, but it's trying to repent and trying to correct that behavior. And, you know, that, that's what's most important. And so I, I do think, you know, that if there were more emphasis put on nuclear families and more emphasis on putting on the family structure as whole and more em- emphasis put on people's communities and people helping each other out instead of relying on the government, people actually returning to God instead of just believing themselves or believing the science or believing in humanity or being a humanist or an atheist, which are all religious and belief structures in and of themselves, I think the country would be better as a whole. I'm not going to say it's ever going to be perfect, and I don't think it should be forced upon. I'm not talking about a theocratic society, but I'm just saying just re- – and, and there were times where you know Americans and, and Christians were hypocrites. Christian, uh, many Christians during the beginning of the 1900s to about 1940, a lot of them were pro-eugenists. A lot of them were pro-abortion. Many of them became part of the American First movement with the Nazis, and that's hypocritical. But – I think that's an issue. The farther that we go away from God, do people not know how depraved the Roman Empire was? I mean, and then people they'll talk about colonialism and everything. And, and I'm French and Scottish. I'm my ancestry is pagan. It wasn't Christian. All right, we converted. Here's what I'm trying to say. Like it's it's just, it's just frustrating. The more people, the more people trust in themselves, and the more people trust in in, in the science, the more people become lovers of self, the more we fall away as a society that eventually will crumble down like all the societies before Yeah, this us. is what I'm, what I'm seeing right now. The fundamentals of uh, society, Western values, uh, Western religion, 
they're being hollowed out. They're being put under the politically correct lens. They're being like removed or they were bigots or Christopher Columbus was this or this person had slaves or, you know, this enlightenment thinker was like wrong. And I see a lot of people with like the scientist, scientism look without values, without a soul, without a meaning, without some kind of spirituality or it's that hijacked woo-woo, you know, ego inflating kind of spirituality, not saying I'm a Christian, I'm more like, I'm in the stage that I'm still like a mythologist. I have immense respect for the transcendental meaning, uh, value of meaningful stories, you know, mm-hmm. and that again, to stories or to embodying and living it in like values. But the way how we come so far is not out of nowhere. It has a religious foundation. It has a philosophical foundation, values, history, and all those things are being like eaten by anti-movements or postmodernism, and everything is relative. Everything is subjective. Just yeah, want like everybody is atomized, and there's nothing to cling on to anymore besides the the breast to suckle from the tyrannical state that will take it over. Like when you read the Communist Manifesto, what's in it? Destruction of the nuclear family. The state has to take over education. You know, the abdication of responsibility, and people have this existential or religious or value void. I feel. No, and you're right. You're right. Fill it up with consumerism or with projection of their Vir- own virtue holiness. signaling. Yeah, virtue, virtue signaling and these things. It's anti-matter. It eats up and destroys things, but it has not a lot of centeredness within oneself, which used to be provided by, amongst other things, like religion, Christianity, philosophy, the community, the family, rituals. It's going to be gone. And it's sad because people, I mean, that's even look, you can look at the science of old. It was people trying to understand God's world. And now it's people who think they're better than God are wanting to be God. Look at Mm -hmm. transhumanism, for example. Mm -hmm. And like the Tower of Babel, it's it's gonna fail. We can't. I think the moment they try to take free will away is the moment you know revelation. One of the maybe one of the moments revelation happens and God steps in. Like they will never get to that point where they completely take away free will. I don't think God would allow that. But I will say that it, it continues to go down that path of of, of postmodernism, post postmodernism. That everything is subjective. Um, that you can't know the objective truth. Now, I believe the objective truth is God the Father, obviously, is me being a Christian, but I do believe that you can even know the objective truth about situations, right? It's uh, not always, you know, sometimes you're always going to know your own subjective truth about something that happened, right? Like 9-11, for example. But there is one objective truth of the day of the events of 9-11, right? You know, yeah, and, and it does you, exist. They have, they have normally if you're constructive, you use a lens of understanding, right? And mm-hmm. I want to understand and, and maybe not approve, but I understand this way of living in society, it's with a lens to destroy, to look for flaws, to see you as an enemy, you know, to not look at intention, you know, to ascribe intention, to not be guilty until, uh, innocent until proven guilty, but the other way around, you're guilty yeah. until proven innocent. So this is being done instead of that, negotiate the truth, you know, that investigative lens to have a willingness to understand things. You know, there's always this self-righteousness. Yes. I am right. I know what it's like. This is the only right way. I don't have to hear what your intention was because you are like this, you know? But it's not even based on logic. It's based on subjective reality and feelings. And it's a problem. I mean, usually that's what leads to revolution, right? Is, Is the feelers and the judgers of a society and the censors end up, you know, pushing society to it's a, a brink 
or they're out on the streets, there's social change, there's social progress. And I'm not going to say that there's certain, there's, there should have been certain things that should have been done, right? Like, you know, uh, slavery in the United States was abhorrent, for example. I mean, yeah, there was yeah, white absolutely. slaves too as indentured yeah, servants. Absolutely. You know, I, I do believe that women should allow to have the, the right to vote or to have equal rights uh, mm-hmm. as, as a man. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, in a household, though, however, I do think it should be biblical that the man should be the head of the household. Okay. But I think as far as a governmental structure in the eyes of the law, both men and women should be treated equally. So, and I, so I do think there's some things that should have changed, obviously, and it's a sign of the times. I mean, America gave up slavery, slavery long. I mean, there's many, many countries throughout the world that were still practicing slavery. There's many countries in the world that still practice slavery today. And look, I'm not using that as a deflection to say, you know, it should have existed in the first place. I'm not, but I'm just saying being a white Christian male in the United States, you are the most hated individual by the collective society now and the most guilted. And it ends up making many white Christian males go the complete opposite direction of trying to understand, uh, trying to learn understanding and compassion and trying to, you know, live by love thy neighbor as thyself as Jesus is taught instead going, okay, well, you say I'm a racist, you, I'm, I'm a bigot, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. Well, I'm all this now. I'm this. I will be this. And they become radicalized. And it happens. Yeah. And it's it's tragic. It really is. And, and, and a lot of the social justice warriors don't see that. They don't see that they're being pushed and conditioned by the world order to be the hammers to achieve that objective so that you end up, instead of all of us, the 99% uniting against the 1% and holding them accountable, we're instead at each other's throats throwing each other to the wolves, snitching each other out. Bro, now you're preaching preaching the gospel to me. Like, you know, like, man, the left, the right, you also had the GameStop thing. So many things that could unite us to see how much depravity there is, how much people in power with money, with influence, use it to get more power, control, and influence. We have way much more in common, and we have way much more a common enemy than trying to eat up each other. But it's just divide and conquer, one of the most oldest tactics in the world. And it's such a shame. We're really focusing yeah. on like minor issues and whatever to keep us distracted and divided, to create more chaos, to destroy any kind of standards of like identity. You even get judged <laughs> for your identity. I mean, Christian could be an identity that you choose, okay? But white Western male, like guilty by association from the day you were born, <laughs> just yeah. existing. Okay. I mean, my family was carrying, carrying the, the sins of all your past generations and you have to repent. Yeah, I mean, my family was 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 poor. We grew up in a trailer, you know, in the south, you know, and, and we later end up having money and everything. I'm not going to say that I'm as poor as uh, some of the African Americans who grew up in ghettos, or even some of the poor Appalachian whites that no one had to ever talk about, who barely get government assistance and don't even have running water half the time or electricity. But you know, they want to frame it as a grand racial divide. They want us to keep in our tribes. They want us to, 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 to deal with tribalism instead of realizing they want us to sit there and point a finger at each one of us and, and say they're the problem instead of saying, no, the elite and the government are the problem. Now, granted, as a Christian, I believe that Satan is above them because uh, he, he has domain over the earth would be the better term right now. But it just, it just makes me sad because... You, they've got to say we can't talk to one another 
They got us so that they got us either on red or blue team so much that people are like, I'm a Republican. So that's my identity and rah, rah, go team. Or I'm a Democrat and that's my, you know, and and I hate the Republican. Like, like it's also also being switched. Like one thing that uh, on the other side, I found like illuminating. I saw like change my mind. And then you have like white privilege doesn't exist. And you had someone uh, interrogating uh, Candace Owens, I think. But I think one part that I found like interesting, and I don't like the term white privilege. It's more like, you know, black disempowerment. But there, if I would have to admit and I would condone the term white privilege, there was something as like white privilege. In the past, there was segregation. As a white privilege, you had white booty yeah. bars this mm-hmm. side of the bus. Black people had to be to the back. So I'm not denying that I don't like the term, but I'm framing it because it's being used right now. There was something as like black and white segregation and that people had more advantages just for being white. The situation, although is much, 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 much improved than like the last 50 years. There's still like racism, not denying that. So and, and there always will be racism. You can't completely eliminate that. And there'll be racism between now, as far as systemic racism or or institutional racism within governments. Yes, there's been, you know, yes, there's been massive strives to overcome that. I mean, you can look back at at, um, segregation as being institutional racism. That's what it is. It does exist. Mm -hmm. But is it the same as it is now? Is it the microaggressions that they claim to make it out to be now? But us having that discussion, yeah, we're bigger than white mouths. Sexism and cultural Marxism started in the twenties, and then Frankfurter Schule, and then you know political correctness and Marcuse and postmodernism. Okay, when you look at the sexism or the lack of opportunities, which is also part of the market and the less you know the more administrative jobs or less menial, hard taxing jobs that women couldn't do. Yeah, of course, the like, situation has changed a lot since the nineteen twenties. We're hundred years later. But I see, still see this grievance culture looking for things to grieve about and to be disappointed about. And it becomes like such micro things in the grand scheme of things that it almost seems hard for them to admit like, yeah, we had a much better place and it's time to focus more on being content. We're still going to fight on some things, but we're happy we achieved those things. I sometimes see a vigor of fighting and animosity that isn't even compared to like women in their 20s or 30s, you know, when it comes to how triggered they are or how, how big their reaction is. Yeah. No, you're, you're, I mean, you're right. Instead of us trying to find common ground and realize that the elite are our enemies and the leader trying to do these things to us. No, instead, we rather bicker and, and rat each other out and throw each other to the wolves for social status, for social clout, uh, for virtue signaling. I mean, maybe I'm looking with rose tinted glasses, but when I grew up, it wasn't that it wasn't as bad as it is now. Maybe, you know, some people would say it's more hidden. But I think we're more divided than ever. I'd almost want to say at the end of Obama, to some degree, some people were both looking at, you know, the progressives had, some of the progressives have become so regressive. You know, <laughs> no, some of, some of them had, some of them had, uh, had, had gotten so sick of how Obama was a corporatist. Mm. Mm-hmm. And they, and in the right, you know, was, but Donald Trump, sucked them all back into the right left paradigm you know and, and that's where we're at now is everybody walks around you know with their i'm i i believe i lean right in my ideologies and i lean left in my ideologies and it's like when did a certain ideology become right or left it, it changes depending on a generation you know free speech used to be 
a leftist ideology. Now it's a right ideology. And then even like for free speech. Also I with mean, the KKK used to be like uh, prevalent in the Democratic Party and then yeah. like shifted yeah. more. So it, that was also dynamic that uh, or anti-war, pro-war. And then, you know. Yeah. And then, and then too, you have, I myself am not even a free speech absolutionist. I think there are lines that free mm-hmm. speech have. Child pornography is one, for example. I think mm-hmm. it harms those who view it and those who make it. I think it's abhorrent. You know, so I don't think that, you know, child pornography should be protected by freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think rape or snuff films should be protected by freedom of speech. They harm someone directly. They're abhorrent. They, sh- you know, they shouldn't be there. And a lot of people also forget what freedom of speech is. Actually, if you really look at the First Amendment, it just protects the United States government and by proxy because of other Supreme Court rulings, the state governments from, you know, putting you in jail for, for speaking your mind, mainly speaking out against corruption in the government of the government itself. It doesn't necessarily protect your job from firing you if they say something that they don't necessarily agree with. And they do have the right to do that. A job does have the right to fire you if it's in their terms and conditions of when, you know, the employee policy of when you, you know, fill out all the information and stuff like that to, to become hired by a job. A corporation does have the right, if there's a certain standards that are put forth by the corporation or by the job position of whether you're like a local town sharer for whatever, there are certain thing, codes of conducts that you do have to apply for. Now, do I believe that every single instance where a person got fired because of something they did or something they said, do I think that's right? No. But does a corporation have the right to do so? Well, that's for lawyers to decide of what was in their, the document that you signed as far as their you know, ethics and rules and regulations or whatever. So there is a fine line between that. Free speech doesn't necessarily protect you in every circumstance. You say something in the United States, there are social implications and there are uh, consequences. The problem is, is it went from holding people accountable for how they act and behave which a normal society would do to some degree, right? You know, you would, you would, you know, mm-hmm. if someone's, you know, drunk and beating their wife, you know, you'd be like, hey, man, you got to stop this. Mm-hmm. All right. Like there is some accountability, accountability there. Or, or if you have someone who's a straight up hateful person and they're on their job, you know, and they're like calling people like straight up racial slurs and epitaphs, mm-hmm. you know, you, mm-hmm. as a business owner, you can't have that, mm-hmm. you know, but it went from, you know, something that I could see being, a part of society to now anything that isn't even anything can be considered a slight. The danger that I see is that it first becomes, you know, this post police that you can't post things and fact checkers. Then it becomes a thought police. Then it becomes an emotion police. And then more and more of your thoughts and actions are like boxed in and like prohibited, which is not the case with this podcast. Probably we triggered some people with the topic. Yes, we, we probably did. About. Like, yeah, but that was to be expected. But yeah, that's what my podcast is about provoking thoughts. And hopefully people take the intention of our conversation in mind and the place where we speak our words from. If people want to follow you with everything that you do, where can they check out more about? Uh, yeah, you got you guys can find me at www.fixyourgut.com or my Fix Your Gut YouTube channel for all your alternative natural health needs. And you can find me, we've read the documents on YouTube or we've underscore read on Twitter. If you want to learn about conspiracy theories and actual research, I'm not someone that's going to pull hopefully some crazy theory out and be like, this is what it is. I usually hope that I can back something by it. But um, yeah, I, I definitely want to thank you for having me on. Uh, One last for, question for sure. I want to leave you with is, 
is yeah. when you see how a lot of these conflicts are like created and there's not a lot of hope in elected people and governments and people are being set up and they're just being exploited for their people that don't benefit. Where should people use their focus? How should they try to fight it, change it, ameliorate it? If you see like this is just a cyclical thing of, you know, peddling hope and then you get fucked in the end again and then it changes and then polarization and then you choose a guy and you have hope and the same things happens again. So where do you think people should put their focus and energy? You become a radical just like people did during the Ro Rome uh, during the uh, first and second century when it was a heavily de debauched culture. It's a lack of a better term. It's rebellion just to try to seek out God, try to live by traditional values, try to, you know, like I said, love thy neighbor as thyself, try to commune with your neighbors, actually go and visit them and actually go and talk with them and don't just text them or your family, you know, just try to talk with someone uh, when you're out and about shop at local stores instead of Amazon. Yes, I still buy from Amazon time to time, but I try to do my best I can to support our local businesses that are having their you know, most difficult time during the lockdowns or eating at local restaurants out of eating at you know fast food restaurants and stuff like that. Try to spend some time to give back to your community. You know, Try to do volunteer volunteerism work and stuff like that. Maybe start a garden at your house and start you know, feeding both your family and your neighbors and the people around you. And maybe sell some of the stuff for your own profit. You know, that's how you become a rebel in today's society because today's society wants you to be a social justice warrior. It wants you to keep up with the Joneses. It wants you to virtue signal. It wants you to sleep with a million people. It doesn't want you to have a family. It doesn't want you to contribute greatly to, to, to society and leave a mark on society uh, for your own family. It, no, instead it wants you to you know, do the opposite of all those things. So how do you rebel against what the world order wants or what what satan wants for you it's it's to it's to just return back to traditionalist beliefs and mindsets and attitudes that how, that's how you you know do mostly do most of your conversation the most you can outside of social media actually talk to people i understand that many people have friends across the internet and they can't physically be there but you can at least you know discuss or talk to them on the phone instead of texting everything every few seconds you know and i think by doing that we can we can overcome the, the world order to some degree. And I think only by doing that does do we have any chance of rebelling in today's day and age, for lack of a better terms, because what they want is they want their form of rebellion, which is revolution, civil war, division, mm. strife, bloodshed, anger. They want that more than the, anything else in the world because they can use that to whatever advantage they can be. But if you counteract and just do the opposite, where you know you try to make a career, you try to learn a trade, you try to better yourself, you self-reflect a lot, you try to to have a personal relationship with God or in Jesus Christ, you you try to eat healthy, you try to help your community, you try to talk with your neighbors, like doing all that stuff uh, that were traditional Western values. That's counteracting it at this time. That is being a rebel. That is taking a stand, doing what the herd's doing right now, which is social justice and virtue signaling and all that stuff. That's just going along with the Joneses. I love the fact that you focus more on the positive and don't feed the negative energy. And instead of focusing on the affairs of the state, 
focus on your own state of affairs, cultivate your garden and create like a good ecosystem and a community that you can care about with compassion. Thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast, John, and wish you all the best with what you do, brother. Thank you. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a comment. And if you're a coach or consultant and you want to scale your online business or maximize your productivity, check out the show notes to find out more about Philip and his coaching programs. Rent over.